guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I'd like to thank my sponsors, PML Construction, SRP Environmental, CCS Group, Make You Safe Wearable Technology, and the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group. Check out the episode notes and find their websites or contact information. Check them out and give them a call if they can help you out. Thank you for your support, guys. I sincerely appreciate it. Now on with the episode. It is Friday, June 30th, last day of the month. And uh, before we get started, I just want to say happy birthday to my brother, Dave. He turns 60 tomorrow, uh, which might, means I am really old because <laughs> he's my younger brother. Um, so, yeah, happy birthday, buddy. I hope you have a great day, and I'll see you down the road sometime. Um, I've been really excited to get these guys on the program. We have known each other for about 10 years now. We've been working together for a decade, which wow. seems almost impossible, yeah. but it's been about a decade. And you guys are, in addition to being a client and friends, you guys are sponsors of the program now. So thank you very much for supporting the program. Uh, thanks for everything that you've done for me along the way. Uh, I want to introduce the owners of PML Construction, Brandon and Brett Hagee, older brother. Older. Younger brother. Much younger. <laughs> more hair. significantly younger <laughs> exactly thank you guys thanks for coming i know you're incredibly busy and uh not i appreciate to, it not today not today <laughs> right before the holiday weekend not so bad it'll get oh quiet. no kidding it'll get quiet you know it's interesting that you say that and this is way off subject but right before the holiday weekend right before any type of a holiday weekend can be a bit of a challenge from a safety standpoint the guys are thinking about their long weekend sure. they're thinking about their and I know we've talked about this in the past as part of our safety committee discussions was mm -hmm. that when we are preparing for something like that, we need to try to keep the guys focused mm -hmm. to the extent that we are able. And then when they're, when they're done, they're done and they're mm -hmm. going to be gone for a few days for sure. So again, way off point, but I guess it's, you know, it's part of the discussion, but I would like it if you guys would talk a little bit about PML, you, this is a second generation company. Correct. And talk a little bit about what you guys do, your commercial specialty contractor. So, and you guys have diversified. Like in the ten years I've known you, you have added a lot of services to the to your repertoire. So, could you talk a little bit about PML and what you do, who you are? You want to do it? Either you want. go for it. Okay. Yeah, start. Yeah. Okay. Uh, started in 1983. Um, PML. Uh, Everyone always asks us what it stands for. <laughs> of course. And it was Pat, Mike, and Lonnie. So it was basically three guys that came together. Um, one was going to be the estimator. One was going to be the main carpenter. And one was going to do the acoustic ceilings. And that's it just evolved from three guys starting. And it's grown over the years. Um, Brett and I started working for the company really probably before... You were legally supposed to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. No wage an hour people listen no, to this, so no, it, no, we're no, fine. No. We it, got McDonald's. It, yeah, <laughs> it, we were paid McDonald's originally. <laughs> of course you were. So you guys were hanging drywall, doing carpentry, doing odd jobs, whatever was necessary. Mm -hmm. um, we basically, I mean, we started working as laborers, doing cleanup on the trucks, those okay. types of things. Um, I remember for my 15th birthday, I ended up getting a tool belt. So I started, <laughs> it was one hell of a birthday present. Thanks, mm -hmm. thanks dad. Yeah, of course. Um, no, well, yeah, truly thanks dad. Cause at <laughs> least you guys have skills. Yeah. Yeah. Brett and actually Brett's carpenter skills are way better than mine are. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but we went to school, Brett and I both, uh, went to the university of Nebraska Lincoln, got construction management degrees. Um, I started, um, estimating project management after graduation, Brett took more of the field route, um, and was a superintendent and, um, he worked his way up through that. I was in the project management end of it. Um, we moved, um, Brett moved into the office after a long period of time in the field. So that's one thing we have had every pretty much crappy job in drywall mm -hmm. on the way up, whether mm -hmm. it be in the field or whatever. Um, and then that's kind of where the divisions of the company took shape too, is I ended up doing more of the business end of things. Brett ends up handling the field end of things. So 
in 2013, we purchased the company from my father and his partner. Um, and we've since evolved into that, but our, the, our roles have basically stayed the same. Whereas I'm running more of the business end of things and Brett's running the field things. Mm -hmm. So, um, Brett's main focus is the day to day, how things get built. Mine is maintaining the business and that. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, and the operation has grown over the 10 years that I've been with you guys. Yeah. I mean, it's services size. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, our core is steel stud framing, drywall, acoustics, insulation, um, specialty products, those types of things. We've also got into up quite a bit of prefabrication mm -hmm. with, uh, framing systems. So that's, that's been one thing that we've added. Um, you still doing the, like the spray insulation stuff? Spray foam insulation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we still do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, the specialty ceilings in our industry have really taken off too. Um, it's, it's just not your standard two by four grid ceilings anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much of the effort that we put into jobs anymore is, are these specialty ceilings and specialty products that they're putting in. So it's, it's complicated things. It's, it's a lot of shop drawings. It's a lot of planning. It's a lot of ordering. It's a lot of pre-job installation meetings, those types of things. But it's really, it's been something that's really been able to grow our business too. Mm -hmm. So, and so what was, what was the safety program like when you were 15 and got your first tool belt? Do you remember? And this is not meaning to be disrespectful no. to, you know, Pat, Mike, or Lonnie. We always had, well, I can't say always had, but as we got to a certain size, I, my memories, because I'm much younger than Brandon, um, <laughs> as we, you said, we had an outside safety person right, who would right. come in mm -hmm. and basically would go site to site, you know, get a list of jobs to go look at, and he'd go check on them. So um, that's... Which is useful i mean that's a yeah. good that's a good way to approach this yeah no and and that gets an outside voice you know coming mm -hmm. through who who knows you know that part of the industry and can teach up the guys on mm -hmm. you know if they have something you know they're doing something wrong or something that they're uh going to be doing you know how to get in front of it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so I mean, there was a safety program even when yeah. you guys were i mean it was something that your father and his partners Correct. were aware of and attentive to they were doing that yep. They, yep. they were doing those things but I, I think the culture was very difficult. Um, it was, you know, the battle to get people to wear hard hats, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. just the bare minimum. And you would have people that just didn't, didn't, weren't going to do it, didn't want to do it. And so, um, w with anything safety, it, it's always something new. It's always that battle to get people to do things and getting them to understand that it's about, sending them home safe. Mm -hmm. Um, but back then it, 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 it was just an entirely different culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, they, they were not used to those kind of things. Obviously yeah. these guys, they knew what they were doing. They were very skilled and they didn't probably welcome change. No, necessarily. No one does that I've ever seen, but those battles have been, if not one, we've kind of, we're over that hump. We're kind of on to, like you said, Brandon, the more the cultural considerations. What does that even mean? What does that look like in a in a subcontracting outfit? Um, but I've seen a lot of change over the last 10 years um, from the site visits. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember when we adopted the um, the uh, the safety auditing app, soft, mm -hmm. you know, the software to utilize for a little bit more consistency and, and then a little bit more uniformity perhaps from site to site. Um, what other things have changed along the way that you think have been useful and what things have you tried maybe that, that weren't useful? I think nowadays there's an effort for people to think ahead more as opposed to just show up to the job and figure it out as you mm -hmm. go, you know, as it's coming at you, like, oh man, there's a leading edge. Wow. You know, right. We spend so much more time now, you know, getting prepared just for those things, you know, in advance of the project starting and making sure we're sending out the right stuff. You know, when the guys are there, everything is available for them. And then to the guys, when they're on site, go, you know, them looking out ahead of things and, and being prepared when this stuff does come, you know, when they get to that point in the project or wherever they're at, that 
they have every the guys are trained up and ready to do their task and they have all the equipment wow. and proper things for it i love that and how, how does that give me an, how does that happen in the back in the office we're talking when we're doing the i think it comes i mean as simple as it sounds it's when you start a job, you have the job start and you're organizing everything. We're almost organized to a fault sometimes. Um, but it, it's as e it's as easy as when the gang box is getting set up, set up to go out that you're putting that safety equipment in those things. You're mm -hmm. putting the ear protection, you're putting the extra safety glasses, you're putting extra vests in there, you're putting extra hard hats. You're making sure that they have the things that might pop up or people might be missing, you mm -hmm. know, and you're eliminating the excuses of, well, I don't have this. Um, but, you know, and it, it, it's not just safety equipment that we're planning for. It's the fasteners. It's the, it's the proper tools. And it's just making decisions to make sure that people are able to succeed on the projects. So a lot of it is happening, you know, 14 days before a job starts. We're we're planning those jobs to make sure that we're getting everyone prepared in a proper mm -hmm. manner. Ordering. Yeah. You may not have everything on hand, but so that anticipation, that, that's a, that's a challenge, mm -hmm. you know, being able to anticipate, I mean, you can look at the drawings and you know, the type of work that's going to be involved and you can order those types of things, but there are always surprises on every job. I'm assuming things that maybe we weren't able to anticipate. So it's kind of a very dynamic process coming up with, but I think you're to your point, when the guys get to a certain point on the job, if they don't have what they need, well, they're going to do the job anyway. Mm -hmm. Rarely do they just stop mm -hmm. and say, well, I've reached a point where I can't proceed. I mean, these are guys that are used to getting work done. Mm -hmm. They want to get work done. So the more, the better job you can do of preparing for that and having them ready for that. Yeah. Try to not a, that it's an excuse for them, but just try to make sure everything that, you think they will need is there mm -hmm. so it, when that's a big when deal. they get to the point they know where it's at they can go grab it and do use it yeah that, it, that is a huge deal and we even have it in our estimating software where we have items that are chained to um you know like labor codes and those types of things where um if we are going to be doing framing operations or, or let's say drywall finishing operations mm -hmm there's equipment that goes out automatically with that. So like, um, dust masks, when there's drywall mud that's sent out, it automatically is going to send out dust masks. So when the buy sheet comes out and we're going through and we're ordering material, one of the things that we're ordering too is some of the safety equipment that comes with it. And then that gets stocked in the gang boxes mm. and that happens at the estimating level. I love that. Is so, that in the software or is that how we, how we, is it? we built it? You into, built that into your, yeah, wow. Well, into, I love into, that. The, into the databases. It's just because mm -hmm. the materials are in, in the databases. We just get those types of items in included in there. So mm -hmm. um, it's just trying to get the people prepared for what they, what they're going to need to be doing. So. so one of the, one of the arguments that I've heard often with regard to safety, specifically in construction, is the ability to be competitive cost-wise. I mean, there is a cost to this material. Obviously, as you know, there's really significant cost of obtaining all this equipment and the materials. How do you remain, how, how can you be competitive? Is that an issue or was that an issue at some point? Was it in the beginning, was that tough? I think so. I mean, there. I think safety equipment has evolved as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, used to be back, when you were tying off, you'd, you know, throw down a, a butterfly, screw mm -hmm. it to the deck, and you're working where however long of a lanyard or retractable you have, that's your workspace, mm -hmm. you know. And then you're going back to it, you're unscrewing it, you're moving all the way down to the next spot, reattaching, doing repeat. You know, I think some of the safety equipment has evolved where you can be more productive. Raptor carts is one thing that oh, yeah. we really like. Um, it allows the guys to be mobile um, when they're up on an elevated area and remain productive and not have mm -hmm. to stop and constantly reattach and, and do that thing. Yeah. So um, I think those kind of things have really helped. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is too, though, you bring up the cost of safety and those types of mm -hmm. things. What is the cost associated with not being safe? Undoubtedly. I, I totally agree, but that's lost on a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, what, 
because when when shit hits the fan and something goes wrong there is a lot of money that goes out mm-hmm. the door at that period of time mm-hmm. in meetings and you know um injuries and work comp and everything that you're you're dealing with at that point in time so you have to make the decision too like yes this is costing us but how much is this actually saving us if we can keep people from being injured right keep from having you know citations or something there is a number right i mean if you drill down into that you can figure out what the costs are of being proactive versus reactive and perhaps having an injury or something those are real numbers yeah it might be hard to capture up front but those are real numbers and i think and that has always been something that companies have struggled with you know the do i invest this up front is there going to be some return on that i I hope they hear that and they can see that in their own operations Mm -hmm. because that's that's been a challenge i can remember you guys are exclusively commercial do you do industrial work commercial work but not residential not residential not residential. because the residential side has always been that wild albatross it's the wild wild west and the cowboy and you can't convince any of them that putting money up front truthfully i mean some of them you know i work with a few Mm -hmm. i know of a few i don't work with them but that have done that but it's hard to get them to (laughs) grasp that change very slow to change and i'm not sure that that will so but the commercial side has actually made some significant change. What, what has driven that? I, when I was with OSHA, we used to engage with the AGC, Associated General Contractors, and we were trying. It seemed like whatever the generals expected, all of the subs would provide. They would follow suit. And if the generals were really safety conscious, the subs would engage that. And if they weren't, lowest common denominator man everybody would back off their shit if they didn't have to without a doubt there have been some big jobs around omaha and there have been some very rigid safety expectations by these large gcs and owners mm-hmm. has that have you been in, have you seen that have you seen that change where the gcs are now more interested or driving safety to some degree without or, a doubt yeah there's certain projects where it definitely gets elevated mm-hmm. yeah and i, I think it, it falls into a couple different categories too we, we're on projects where you have general contractors that um their safety requirements are probably above and beyond and then we have to we have to comply with that and we go to that level at that point in time then we'll also deal with some contractors where their safety requirements are basically nothing and then we're going to be the drivers of mm-hmm. you know these are our policies and this is what we have in place mm-hmm. and it's above what they're requiring on us, you know, and we might be the only guys on job sites wearing hard hats. Right. You know? Um, so it, it, that becomes tough too. You know, like when, when it's like we're required to do this, but no one else on the job is re- required to do this. Mm-hmm. So it's making sure that your people are doing those types of things. That, that has been a challenge. And I've seen that where the general is not, driving safety very hard and so everyone else kind of backs off Mm -hmm. and to maintain it this is what we do this is how we work and we're going to stick to this regardless of what the expectations are that that was kind of a hurdle i'll bet yeah and and then you'll get the well it's a small job you know Mm -hmm. i there's only one or two of us on the job site you know why do we have to do these types of things that becomes the mentality Mm -hmm. and i've seen people get really hurt on a job with one or two people on it yeah mm-hmm. it, it it's not exclusive to just big jobs and big crews where pe- where injuries happen right. or safety violations happen right it can be on small stuff too mm-hmm. yeah that that so culturally though i mean that's a culture issue in large mm-hmm. part that this is what we do and how we do our work so we're going to continue to go, do it regardless and you've seen improvement in that one mm-hmm. of the things i wanted to ask about was you have a safety committee that meets quarterly, I believe, and it's mm-hmm. comprised primarily of uh, the management team and then superintendents, your kind of lead foreman people, those guys and right. gals. Um, and I think you've given a lot of the responsibility to drive these, you know, day-to-day things to those folks. Mm-hmm. Was There was resistance in the beginning, I imagine, to some degree, but it's obviously working. 
Do you, what do you talk about that a little bit, the safety committee and how you've given those guys or empowered them maybe. And that's one thing that we've tried to do in our company is give more and more responsibility. And I feel that at one point in time, there was a bottleneck where everything was running through Brett and myself. And mm-hmm. we were, we were trying to, trying to for, force everything to the decisions to be made through us. And what we've learned is that we have really good people in spots and so if we can start u- utilizing their talents and I'll give them tasks and allow them to do things, um, it really helps the overall company. The other thing is, too, I'm not seeing what's going on on their jobs all the time, just being in the business end of it. And um, the ideas they have, the things that they see as hazards on a day-to-day basis, I might not have thought of. And so it's it's getting those guys on the front front lines to get their ideas and get them participating in it. Um, the other thing that we, we've done with that safety committee is we try and rotate in foremen that aren't on the committee per se and get their input from time to time too, and have them visit in the meetings. And so we get a kind of a well-rounded, um, thought on what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that idea. I love that. And just recently, we've taken it another step further. We've gone to a a cloud-based software where everyone is doing their job hazard analysis, their job safety inspections. Um, They're doing the the hazard analysis every day. They're doing the safety inspections on a weekly basis, and it's run on an app. And they're every – foreman every superintendent is in charge of doing those things so at seven o'clock in the morning when they're coming in they're thinking about those hazards and they're doing it on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and we're able to say you know ask the crews what are we what are we doing today what what is going to be the problem Mm -hmm. and then hopefully you know and and this is something that we've just rolled out in the last couple months so like with anything with safety there is a culture change. You're going to have some resistance to it. Um, but what we're starting to see is we're starting to see people think about what's happening on a daily basis before they start doing it. And it's like, if we talk about something at seven o'clock, are we going to have an injury at seven fifteen? Probably not. So let's start talking about what we're going to be doing here and thinking about the day. Mm-hmm. So is, is that a, something that you've done internally or are you, purchasing this app or it's still somewhat in the initial the infancy of its use so it's there's and there's tons of tons of different different platforms Mm -hmm. this was one that our accounting software they came up with this suite um which is a safety suite Mm -hmm. and we decided to add it and it's it's been pretty good and it has certification so you can look up an employee and see that he's been trained on lifts he's got cpr he's Mm -hmm. he's had forklift training he's osha 10 oh nice these types of things so you can go to the general contractor and say yes these people are you know trained to do these types of things nice yeah um it has equipment logs on there you can see when equipment needs to be inspected those types of things when it was when it was put into service what jobs it's on um you know, you, you can go through, like on the job safety evaluations, we tell our people to score the jobs how they are, you know, and try not to get dwell on the fact that, you know, it's based upon a score of 100. Um, you know, if you come up with a 90, you know, it might not be a bad thing because you might be pointing out the general contractor doesn't have guardrails up. Mm-hmm. We don't have proper lighting in these places. We don't um, the job's a mess, these types of things. So then that can trigger us and the project managers to communicate with the general contractor. Hey, you got to get your job in order because it's, mm-hmm. it's becoming a hazard for us. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a reflection on them. No. As a crew. No, it's, you know, and, and housekeeping is huge, huge, huge. Um, and that's one thing that Brett and I have talked about. We don't really I mean, there's cost codes and there's things that we will complain about where we go over budget and it's like, why did we go over budget? These types of things. But if it's cleanup, if it's safety related items, these are not things that we're telling our people that, you know, 
oh my god you cut. went 20% over on cleanup let's cut back on that safety shit for a little yeah bit. yeah <laughs> i mean it's just not an area that we right. it's did. non-negotiable we yeah it's what we do if you used it you used it good mm-hmm. so the housekeeping it's interesting you've said so many things that i want to comment on but the housekeeping thing as a former ocean guy is such an in, indicative feature of a project you walk onto a site that is just total chaos and immediately your mind assumes that you're going to find other stuff and you start digging more deeply. Maybe you're looking a little more closely. Maybe you're looking at a little more stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you walk into a a fixed facility or a construction site that is orderly, or even the area where a contractor is working, that's orderly. You rarely, in my experience, ever focus as heavily on that area. Housekeeping is the first red flag and poor housekeeping gets you a lot of attention that you otherwise don't need. And it's not necessarily about the OSHA person, mm-hmm. but it is to some degree, right? I mean, I mean, we don't want to have issues with OSHA, certainly. So that's just one thing that I've always commented on. And some people get it. And it's like like you, some people really focus heavily on housekeeping. And some contractors are really good about don't. driving it home, you know, and it's a good thing because Absolutely. nobody wants to work in a slop hole. Nobody does. And when they do show up and it's nice and clean and organized, I mean, people can function and they mm-hmm. can function properly. Mm-hmm. And they like that. I mean, I think from an attitude standpoint, your mindset, when you get there in the morning, you go to a project that's dark, poorly lit, mm-hmm. bad housekeeping and sloppy. I mean, that sets a bad tone for the whole day. Mm-hmm. I, I know that I do when I walk into a facilities that are dark and dingy and mm-hmm. messy. I, I don't enjoy it. You know, so you got to think about how that impacts how you perform your work to some degree. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it on on projects where if normally you have to do it at 100%, the general contractor is asking you to do it at 120%. And it's very safety-oriented, and you start going, oh, my God, this is going to cost us money. This is going to cost us money. But the job site, you, it looks like you could eat off the floor. It's mm-hmm. so clean. Mm-hmm. But then those jobs end up being so productive because you don't have the obstacles. And you end up making money on those jobs, even though you do have all those safety parameters around it mm-hmm. um, that you might be worried about as, as a cost, as an extra cost. But you end up doing well on those jobs. Um, so, and- so. Performance, efficiency, quality, safety, they are not mutually exclusive. You can do all of those things. In fact, when you do all of those things, things do tend to go more smoothly and you can be more productive and more efficient. Without a doubt. I think that's, I think that's a hurdle that a lot of people's heads, they can't get, get around that, that we do the safety stuff and now it's going to slow me down. It's going to cost us, but once you get over that learning curve and you do those things, I think everything improves because mm-hmm. they are just, you, you can't separate them. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, we're just talking about work and work is efficient, good quality, safe. I mean, that's what work should be. Mm-hmm. You know, this, you know, we talk about safety as if it's something that we add on, but it's really just integrated into what we do. Correct. And it makes things so much better you find the guys that are on a job that's clean and well-organized, not only are they more productive, but it's a better place to work. I mm-hmm. mean, they have better attitudes. Um, and it's just little things. I mean, how, how just a messy floor can affect you. I mean, if you're on a ladder, you're put, you know, you're constantly bending over to pick stuff up to move mm-hmm. it out of the way so you can set up your ladder or you're putting your ladder on top of some stuff on the mm-hmm. ground. That's then you're listing and tipping all over the place. Yeah. Well, you got guys on stilts too. Right? Well, exactly. I mean, exactly. <laughs> which just always freaks me out. Yeah. But. Yeah. No. And, and it's getting guys to recognize when, when to go timeout, like let's stop and just hit the reset button on this entire mm-hmm. job. And, and being in drywall, we produce a lot of debris mm-hmm. it, and it's like, don't produce debris everywhere contain it to areas, you know, get it in carts, get it in trash cans, get it out the door, just get the job site productive. And if it does start spreading out over places, hit the reset button and get this job back to a productive level again. Mm -hmm. You know, you said something else that really resonates with me. Um, You talked about during those meetings with the superintendents, finding out about 
challenges or hazards that you probably wouldn't otherwise be aware of. And this is something that I've been reading about lately, um, kind of this new way of approaching safety that's gotten a, a, you know, a hold in, in the industry. And as a compliance guy who was trained as in compliance things, you can walk through with a checklist and you can find the OSHA stuff really easily. Mm -hmm. That's rarely the stuff that is really significant or consequential. Those things are a little bit more nuanced or subtle. They're not quite as obvious necessarily. And so to ask the guys, to have the guys come in and share what it is that concerns them is really an important part of this. I don't think it works for us just to follow the OSHA checklist, um, you know, focus on compliance necessarily. That's important, mm -hmm. but there's stuff on those jobs that really has the potential to hurt people. And it's not always easy for a guy like me, an outsider to see mm -hmm. when I'm walking through. So I, I think that is such a critical part of this, getting them to share that information confidently. And one thing that, that we've done is we've started teaching internal classes in the company and we're in the process of going through that with all the employees. And it's, it's classes on blueprint reading. It's classes on um, project management. It's classes on just the different methods that we do things at PML. And then we have a safety class and this safety class has nothing to do with any type of certification or anything like that. It is just an open forum where we sit down as a group and it's like, what are the things that you've done? What, what has scared the shit out of you? Mm -hmm. You know, when, when have you been nervous? What did you do about it at that point in time? What are the materials that we're sending out to the jobs that you have safety issues with where it might be sharp edges, those types of things. Mm -hmm. what, where are the problems there? Um, where, what is the equipment that we send out that you might have issues with and get communication as far as what are going to be the different ways that we can do things to not put people in positions where they're, where they're making bad choices mm -hmm. or they are in harm's way. I love, how, how do you structure that? I love that idea. Is that a sit down, it, it's, get a small group together and just it, sit down? And it's, it's 15 people in a conference room sitting around and I have a list of questions that mm -hmm. we go through and it's just like talk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, what mm -hmm. can, what can, what can we do? And they're, you well, know, the, just the, the question, what scared the shit out of you mm -hmm. last time, you know? Yeah. What, what, what have you done that you were nervous doing mm -hmm. and what did you do about it at that point in time? Mm -hmm. You know, cause yeah, cause somebody who's scared, they're not going to do, oh. it's not going to be safe for them. Right. I Absolutely. Mean, and those are hard things for an outs, particularly a guy like me that doesn't know mm -hmm. one end of the hammer from another to be able to see those mm -hmm. and recognize that while work is going on. I mean, it, it's so hard. It's almost impossible to predict when something is going to go wrong, mm -hmm. unless it's just blatant. You know, you got a guy standing on a roof with no fall protection leaning. I mean, those things we can all see and get our head around, but it's the, you know, during the work, it's really difficult to predict when something is going to go wrong mm -hmm. other than the worker. They know when, you know, stuff doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And exactly. You might've reached a minimum standard and you might be in compliance, but mm -hmm. you have a nervous employee at that point in time. Be, and we need to be doing more than just the minimum standard at right. that point in time. Mm -hmm. So agreed. So you're getting good feedback from this. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard things that surprised you? Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> good. They should. I think that's the point. And the smaller setting really helps, I think. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can have a big company wide safety meeting and any questions, anything, you know, and it's just crickets. Yeah, you know, that's tough. You get these guys in smaller groups, and then they're more apt to, you know, give their feedback. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and, and there's no consequence to no, that, right? I mean, no. nobody's getting fired no. because they admitted that I had to, like, unhook for, you know, mm -hmm. to get out and get to the end of that. Or, or it's even, this is what another company's doing, or they have this type of safety equipment that they use, and how could we, how could we get this into our company? It's like, well, let's just go buy it. Mm -hmm. Didn't even know it existed. I didn't know I it existed. It. Right. You know, and you have to look at it too, because not all the good ideas are going to come from within your company. Mm -hmm. You have to be looking at what other people are doing and how we can do it. Definitely. Um, yeah. And just getting those ideas from people. 
I didn't realize we were doing that, but I love that. We, I call those learning teams because that's the guys that I've been reading refer to those as learning teams. And it's just that small group, ask some candid probing questions and let them talk. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just think that's so important. And we did a questionnaire, and one of the things that kept coming back is the employees wanted to be more involved in the process. They wanted to learn more about the blueprint rating. They just, you know, what they're doing on a daily basis. And that, that you know, that's kind of evolved where people want to know more about the process, where you used to maybe have people that were just doers and would, would I'm being told to do this, so I'm going to do mm-hmm. it. You know, people are wanting to know why they are doing something. Mm-hmm. So we've started teaching these classes and going through these things and trying to get people involved, more involved in the process too. Um, Brett and I, just by our general appearance, sometimes can be unapproachable. <laughs> and we, you we, mean that shirt you're wearing, or what? Do you, what is it you're saying? I don't know. Just my ge- general look on my Dude, face. I, I can tell you that. I've only been intimidated by two of my clients, you guys <laughs> and Rich Harger, the guy across the river in Counts Bluffs. And I was, when you called me that day and you were a little bit upset with one of my guys, and I thought, I think Brandon's going to twist my head off. <laughs> so I totally get it. I, I, it's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mess with you. We're not, so. we're not joking about that, but, but that's a real thing, right? Mm-hmm. That is a real thing. Approaching the boss can be difficult. And so, and getting the impression that you're approachable is really and trying to break down those barriers, yeah. you know, and, you know, you start asking, you start asking the questions, you know, of what can we do different? You know, how can we improve as a company? What, what are the things that you want to see different? Right. And then you start to break down those barriers and people start to become a little bit more candid. So mm-hmm. this is truly why I've been so impressed with you guys, because as you know, I don't, have a lot of construction clients. I my wheelhouse has become industry, mm-hmm. but from the very beginning, this has been the attitude that you guys have always had. It seems, and you've always been continuous improvement, always willing to learn and grow. And you know, if everybody did that, as you said earlier, I mean, there is no perfect company. Nobody does this perfectly. Nobody is going to do this perfectly. Just with you have to have a willingness to learn and improve where you can evolve and evolve and uh, that's been really impressive and um so i i commend you for that and i hope everybody listening to this and there will be quite a few listeners to this can embrace some of those ideas that you're sharing because it it is you know this is a this is challenging and and i've and i've listened to the podcast and you get it in on a lot of the industrial types of things and it gets it gets in the weeds sometimes with Mm -hmm. how perfect things are and these types of things you know, like I listened to one on, um, flame resistant, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> flame resistant, right, right, uh, clothing and mm-hmm. it got to deal with emblems on them and, and those types of things. And it's like, my God, I mean, that's, <laughs> that is just very finite. And, yes. and I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. yeah and it, we're just trying, we're just trying to be better i mean we're we're coming at this from a perspective of we are not perfect and we're trying to make sure that people go home every single day Mm -hmm. um and when something happens it it affects us yeah um and people might not think that think that because you're in a business it's profit driven these types of things but ultimately it's about the people and providing a safe work environment for those people Mm -hmm. and and you're a family business, mm-hmm. uh-huh. right? You are a family business, a second generation family owned business. Uh, you're not, you know, Westinghouse or one of these enormous where nobody knows anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are in the same office with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And these these people are, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but they ultimately are family or. Yeah, we know that. You know, we we yeah. try and know their families. Yeah, we try and I know mean, these people and, and. Um, when we take on an employee, we feel that we take on the entire family and that mm-hmm. we need to provide for them and make sure that they have a job and make sure they mm-hmm. have a safe place to work. Um, and that's, that's a big deal. That's just always been our attitude. Yeah. So that, that, that is a big deal. I don't know how you do it personally. I don't have any employees and I still worry every night when I go to sleep, these guys, you know, these subcontractors that I use, mm-hmm. 
I worry about them. I worry about, oh my God, what have I missed when I walk through a facility? Did I miss something that's going to hurt someone? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm amazed. It, it, it always amazes me because there's so many things to be responsible for to to keep a company moving forward and growing, and then to have that burden, that extra responsibility to protect them to the best of your ability. That there, there is a lot to that. And you think about you think about drywall. I mean there's probably 130 guys right now that are at PML. They're working on stilts. They're working on scaffolding. They're working at elevation. They're in lifts. They're cutting sharp things. They're using saws. Lifting. Lifting constantly Mm -hmm. drywall, Mm -hmm. these types of things. They're walking over irregular sites. I mean, our exposure is huge. Huge, yeah huge and not to mention those electricians yes that we talked about them i mean you're surrounded by other contractors well, yeah. you yeah. have to interact mm-hmm. with these other contractors and and some of the workforce too um there's there's been people that have gotten into the workforce now um and we're, we're very careful about who we who we hire and everyone goes through brett and it's a process and we try and get people that are qualified or people that we can train. But I don't think that a lot of other companies, they're just putting warm bodies, warm on, bodies. on these That's jobs. It. There's a lot of people that don't belong on job sites mm-hmm. that are on job sites at this point in time. No question. And they become a hazard too. So yes. not only do you have to think about what you're doing, you have to think about what these people are doing. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. Every time I'm on the interstate, and I see a, a work truck of some sort barreling down the interstate. I'm thinking, this guy shouldn't even have a driver's license. I guarantee this is not their, you know, their civil engineer driving this truck. This mm-hmm. is, you know, this is a person that probably can't. Well, I shouldn't. I don't want to get in. But I think sometimes yeah, I just question the qualifications mm-hmm. of a lot of people that I see. And most of the places that I go to, it's, it's fairly unskilled labor oftentimes. And yeah, we are the, you know, the, the labor pool doesn't provide for certainty. I don't know how to even say that subtly, you know, without stepping all over it, but that is a challenge. The people that are on the job sites can be. Yeah. And it's, it's getting them comfortable at beginning levels. If you're going to bring in someone at an entry level, you're not going to throw them up a hundred foot in the air right away. I mean, it's, it's working on smaller tasks. It's getting them comfortable with the situation so they can build their skill set. So mm-hmm. they can be that person that is eventually up there and doing those types of things. You not can't... overwhelm them. Mm-hmm. But that's not common either. No. Some people that, you know, two days on the job, you get your orientation and you were side by side doing the stuff that everybody else is doing and mm-hmm. with no opportunity to grow and learn that stuff, which is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Mm-hmm. And so, um, what, what, what do you envision? Do you have something in mind next? I love the training opportunities. I think for an employee to be proud of what they do, I think there's always an, we, we, we have a need to want to be able to grow and maybe develop professionally in our jobs. I mean, there are a lot of guys who just, I just want to come in and do my thing and go home and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But for those that are interested in growing and developing. I love the idea of kind of this like little PML Academy mm-hmm. where they have this opportunity. I love the learning teams where we're just bringing them in and just asking them what they're, what, do you have anything else that you're incubating at this point? Or do you just let wait and let business dictate that? I, I think the, the classes are going to become a bigger thing. Um, right now we're limited on space. Um, so it's, it's been smaller groups, but we're in the process of building a new facility. Um, and we're shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In 2016, we built our facility that we're in right now. And we thought, Oh God, we'll be in this forever. (laughs) And then then six, seven years later, we're, you've outgrown it. We've outgrown it. But Mm -hmm. one thing that we're doing is we're putting a training classroom in the building and it's going to have, um, 40 seats in it. So we can do class trainings and those types of things and mm-hmm. do them in this environment and have it be a regular type of thing. Mm-hmm. So getting people's input, being able to teach classes, being able to teach blueprints, being able to teach safety, give them an environment where they can do these types of things. I love that. 
and just continuing it. And it doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be have to be the on the job training. Mm-hmm. They can come in and they kind of need learn. some exposure to a lot of stuff before yeah. they're on the job. Necessarily, and a lot of these guys have questions, you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. they might be too scared to ask their foreman or their superintendent mm-hmm. or their person they're working with, you know, or it, it's it's in their head, but they just I'm just doing what I'm told, and mm-hmm. this gives them. If they're able to come in and do these classrooms or class settings, they're able to ask those why questions. You know, mm-hmm. why do we do it like this? Mm-hmm. Why is, is that a generational thing? Is is are, oh, yeah. is the younger oh, yeah. workforce oh, yeah. interested in the why? I mean, they're the ones that want an explanation of why we do things a certain way. Yeah, we get a lot of why. <laughs> <laughs> when I said why, when I was your when they're their age, I got hit. Yeah. So it, it used to be because I said <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now, exactly. now you're now you're explaining. Now you are explaining, and so. You know, I was having this conversation recently with somebody, you know, that the fact that that the next generation needs a certain thing doesn't necessarily mean I have to provide it. Mm -hmm. But if it's going to add value and maybe it gets them to buy in, knowing why maybe is important. Mm -hmm. And if they're asking why, at least they care. Mm -hmm. You know, they're wanting hopefully to learn. Yeah. And improve. Yeah. So and and you start looking back on it when when we were doing it and we weren't asking questions were we necessarily right in just doing what we were told at that point in time? Mm-hmm. Maybe we should have been asking more questions. Right. Maybe we could have avoided some of the things that happened to us if we were asking those questions. That's probably true. But you also had to be quick enough to duck that backhand, too, if you were asking questions. They're inappropriate questions. True, whatever. true. I got the same treatment. There, we're running up on time, but I got one, at least one more thing I want to ask. You mentioned something at one of the safety committee meetings. Maybe it was one of the two of you. I forget who mentioned it, but we were in a safety committee meeting. We were talking, and one of you mentioned to the superintendents and foreman, hey, don't forget that guy that kind of sticks to himself. You know, don't forget, make contact with that guy. Because in every crew, you've got little cliques of guys that are there. Some of them are friends. Some of them probably socialize. Mm -hmm. And some of them are guys that just prefer to, kind of maintain their distance or be there, you know, by themselves. And that person can sometimes get left out or excluded or, you know, miss some of the communication. And I sat there and I thought, wow, that is really an astute comment because every workplace has those people Mm -hmm. and they do tend to get forgotten a little bit. Mm -hmm. And even from a retention standpoint, if they don't feel like they're part of the team or they're valued, they're probably going down the road somewhere. But from a safety standpoint, that can also be, an interesting consideration. So does that resonate? Does that ring a bell, your comment or in, how do we do that? How do we integrate? I think with folks? this, with this new safety app that we're doing and we're, you know, we're going over daily with the crews, what the hazards are, you know, those, those guys that may just be more of a little bit, you know, Hey, I'm not taking a break with the big group of guys. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of going to go, you know, sit over here and do my own thing. And, you know, it's bringing everybody in and, they're they're i don't want to say forcing but i mean it's just part of the process Mm -hmm. they're becoming engaged you know they're going to have to go they have to go over this um they have to go over the daily site things the safety items so every employee does that yeah we bring the crews in so our our foreman or superintendent will be the one who's filling out everything okay and then the entire crew goes through and everybody goes over the the list and everybody signs off on it gotcha okay yeah definitely the other thing that i think brett harps on a lot is you know not working with the people that you're comfortable with per se you know you might get two guys that really know what they're doing and and then they're making hay they're doing really well and then you got two other guys that don't know what they're doing and they're over there struggling why don't we split this apart and get two groups of people that are functioning and you're teaching these two guys that don't Mm -hmm. know as much and then at some point in time then we have four people that really know what they're doing mm-hmm. and they're engaged in what's going on. Um, so that's a concerted effort. Yeah. Hopefully on the part of the superintendent to recognize that. And Ho- hopefully, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's always a struggle because people like to work with of course, who they, they like, like to work with. Um, yeah. But it's, it's something that Brett has always preached. It's like, go find these people, you know, don't have two guys that are really good at something working together and have these two other people over here struggling let's get together and make this a more of a crew effort. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And chances are the two guys that are struggling, they don't know as much on the process. And they also probably a good chance that they're at a greater risk for doing something unsafe. Mm-hmm. 
may not even be aware of it necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of value in that that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? Got some old dudes, guys that have been doing it a long time. How have they? Handled? I know they're typically it's with hard the to get them on board, but I've been impressed with some of them. Have you? Yeah, I yeah. really have. I mean, everything, even the technology part of it, you know, computers, you know, before back in the day, you got a roll of a blueprint and there you go. And mm-hmm. your paper copy job start and go build it. I mm-hmm. mean, now these guys are, you know, functioning on laptops and different, you know, every general contractor has their different, um, you know, Procore or, you know, right. Uh, Blue beam or whatnot. And these guys are able to um, show up to a job site and, and pick this stuff up. So nice. And before they were never even around it. Well, and one thing with those guys that have lasted a long time, they've been in this business for, for a long time. They're very competitive, and there's another generation that's coming up, and they don't want to be left behind. I oh, mean, they, they still want to be seen as the person that can do these things. Mm-hmm. And so they have embraced some of, some of these applications mm-hmm. of that. So it's, you know, I, I've been impressed with Good. that generation. Yeah. So. I, that, that's interesting. I think the, the, the competition and the... The reluctance to be left behind is a pretty strong motivator. Mm-hmm. Some of those guys maybe say, well, it's maybe time for me to check out. I'm done. But on the other hand, some of those guys that are still sticking in the trade realize I need to gain some new skills perhaps. And Well, and they have a lot, if they've been in the trade for a long time, chances are they have a lot to offer with their mind. Absolutely. I mean, they've seen things. They've mm-hmm. seen a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That's right. And there is a need for the two generations to be mm-hmm. um, cooperative mm-hmm. to share that. And you have to, we, we've got a diverse age structure in ours, and you have to have everyone working together and be able to work together. Yes, you need the younger people, but we're not a company that's going to just get rid of old people because <laughs> I mean, cause it's been a pleasure working with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and there, there are companies that will shuffle out, you know, yeah, of useful life. We find tasks for them, you know, mm-hmm. where they're able to use their mind a bit more Yeah, or we're finding, um, we're fine. You know, you're 50 years old. You're not going to be hanging five, eights, twelves drywall every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, you might be putting in backing. You might be setting door frames. You might be doing different types of items, or you right. might be running crews. And if if you can work with your mind, and it's telling people that, hey, you're going to get to a point where your body isn't able to do the things that you used to be able to do 20 years ago. Yeah, start using your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can last a long time in this business using mm-hmm. your mind. And that kind of goes back to that uh, the tr- the training. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm learning some of these new skills, being trained on some of these new things. Um, yeah, that, that institutional knowledge, you hate to lose it because, as you said, they have so much experience. They've seen so many things that, that that's difficult for a new person to understand. But I don't know what you said when you said you were describing that drywall, but it sounded heavy, and I know I can't do it. 111 pounds. <laughs> yes, I'm out. Yeah, no <laughs> shit. Yeah. That one after another all day long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. And it, like my dad used to say, you leave a little piece of yourself on the job every single day when you're, when you're doing drywall. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it is gradually going to wear you down. It takes that something out of you. So you have to, you have to find things that where you can continue to have people work and be involved mm-hmm. in the company. I love that. And so, and this is totally off, but have the, the technologies, the equipment that you use has evolved as well, obviously, because of those considerations. I mean, back in the day where the people were just holding stuff overhead and lifting it in and nailing it in or whatever. Mm-hmm. Are, has that progressed? I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it, it's, is it usable technology or is it? Yeah, some, some of it is, um, you know, and, and some of it, um, it's, it's going to take some time. One thing that we do is we put a lot of equipment on jobs. Um, you know, if it's an exterior job, we're going to put a telehandler on the job. We're not going to expect people to be carrying studs across the mm-hmm, job site. Mm-hmm. We're going to throw equipment onto a job that's that's going to make it more efficient. Um, one thing that we've been using here lately are these rotating telehandlers. 
So you're able to instead. So they, they actually rotate at the at yeah. the forks. Yeah. At yeah. the center of the of the truck okay They're like on a knuckle or something almost like a crane we'll okay say. oh no okay but it, it is in the telehandler class mm-hmm. you know and with our prefabrication and that and setting panels it's a safer way to set panels rather than using telehandlers Got it. okay yeah gotcha. it, it, it's somewhere hybrid between between a crane and mm-hmm. a telehandler mm-hmm. um and it's just getting those types of equipment on the job um lifts if we're able if if you look back and we've had how many injuries on bakers in the last few years, what do we need to do to get away from bakers? Well, we went through and we purchased a ton of lifts. I mean, we probably, what do we have? 60 scissor lifts that we own. Mm-hmm. So instead of having 60 bakers, wow, you, you've gotten people more on the lifts and you know, the chances of someone injuring themselves in a lift is far less than it is far less on a baker because with a baker, you know, a, a rolling tower, bad decisions can be made. Mm-hmm. So if you can take that decision away and take that risk away with equipment, we're always trying to put equipment on the jobs. Mm-hmm. And eliminate that that uh, temptation to make a bad decision. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that's a significant change. That's a big deal. Yeah. Good. Uh, it's amazing to me. Um, like I said, I've always been so impressed by just the thought that goes into, I'm not a huge fan of safety fluff, you know, unnecessary and showy safety stuff. What color is your pee? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of that, you know, you have the little stickers at the urine. I mean, those, yeah, stay hydrated fellas. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, heat can be an issue, but mm-hmm. yeah, I see a lot of safety fluff mm-hmm. that, that to me doesn't really seem useful. I I really appreciate the pragmatic approach to safety. What can we do that's going to make a difference? That's going to be useful. Um, it might be hard to get you know to adopt and get the people to change and understand. But what that's really a great approach to safety. But what is about safety, and what is about someone covering their ass? Yes. I mean, because what we want to be is we want to be about doing things that are safe. Yes, you want to cover your ass and those types of things. But what can we do to be safe? Mm -hmm. Take care of that first. Mm -hmm. And then the cover your ass stuff should Should, follow. It should happen. It should happen. Right. And and most people, I think, are obsessed with the compliance and to the... to a lack of actual focus on safety, truthfully, compliance is not safety necessarily. You know, you miss so many of those things you talked about earlier when you just focus on compliance. Mm-hmm. All of those hidden, subtle energy, you know, employee energy interactions that you don't see on a OSHA checklist. If you're trying to be compliant, you're basically waiting for something to happen to react. To yeah, it. it's react. That's very much the truth. So I, I love that approach, and I hope I hope the listeners um, have understood that from your description and your discussion of how you guys have evolved on a safety standpoint. Um, it these need to be useful changes rather than just for the sake of change. I think that's really important, and I love some of this stuff. I wasn't familiar with that you were doing, like the the uh, education mm-hmm. piece. We don't, you've kind of always done that. You did the t- everybody has a ten hour class in the company, Correct. Mm-hmm. which really impresses me. Everybody should have a 10-hour class. Mm -hmm. You know, we really rely heavily on these employees to notify us when they see something unsafe. Well, how do they know what that is if we don't at least give them some introduction to what a Mm -hmm. basic, you know, background level of, you know, unsafe activities and conditions are? So I think that's a really important piece. But I, I I love the direction. I've always loved what you guys do. So I appreciate your sharing that. And it'll generate a lot of questions. So um, I'll put your emails and home phone numbers and stuff in. Oh, perfect. (laughs) I'm kidding. No, we won't do that. But I I sincerely appreciate your support and your helping me with this podcast. Getting this information out is really helpful. We get a lot of great comments, you know, specifically from the information that you guys share. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just, you know, it's, I think it's important. And uh, so thank you for doing that. And uh, thanks for taking time this morning. Yeah. Are you off for the weekend now or? No, I'm back at it. Back at it. Are you big 4th of July? No, no. 
I hate fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, man. I totally hate it. Fortunately, our kids are old enough that we don't have to buy them anymore. So, oh, that's good. Oh. So you don't run out and start blowing shit no, up. No, no. I just have to watch my dog shake. So, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I am not a. I, I actually, I actually hate the Fourth of July. I love Independence Day, mm-hmm. but I hate the Fourth of July because they've already started it in the neighborhood. Oh yeah, people are already blowing shit up. You know, <laughs> eleven o'clock on a Wednesday night, and I'm thinking, really. Because I'm already, I've been in bed for two hours, yeah, at, you yeah, know. Yeah, us, us too. And so. what what the hell? So, yeah. And I've got a brother-in-law who is an ophthalmologist. Okay. So he and I have compared notes for 30 years on who has had the worst 4th of July experiences. Because when he's on call, all he sees is guys that have, you know, blown shit up in their face, you know. It's just, yeah, let's hope we just get through it in one piece. Are you guys, then you take, are you taking Monday off? Yeah, giving them a long weekend. Yeah, yeah, for you. Yeah, they'll be off Monday and Tuesday. Get get kind of a fort. Well, they work tomorrow, don't they? No. What? No, I don't think you. They get Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Yeah, Yeah. four day. Oh my God, is this Europe? I mean, what the? (laughs) I'm impressed. Oh, I bet they are starting to get a little squirrely right now. Yep. You better run out to the job and keep an eye on these. <laughs> better go check some stuff. Yeah, better go check some stuff. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, great information. I hope you walk away with a nugget or two uh, that will help you in your efforts. So keep up the good work. Have a safe holiday. And we will talk to you next week. Later. A Huda Media Production.